Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Hempson's Primary Care Podcast. This podcast is about um, an introduction to inquests, particularly for GPs and the primary care sector. I'm Justin Cumberledge, a partner in the primary care team, and I'm joined by my colleague Samantha Wright, who advises NHS trusts and um, others about inquests. Today, we are therefore going to be discussing how to prepare for an inquest and what you should do if you receive that letter from the coroner's court. So I'm now just going to hand over to Samantha just to introduce herself. Hi, yes. So I'm Sam Wright and I work in the um, advisory team in Manchester at Hempson's. Um, um, as Justin um, quite rightly said, they're advising NHS trusts, care organisations um, and other healthcare professionals on inquests, providing representation at inquest when necessary and any advice and, and guidance around the inquest process itself as and when necessary. Right. Thank you, Sam. Sam, just um, explain what an inquest is, please. Okay, so an inquest is um, a fact-finding exercise um, that the coroner will conduct whereby if a coroner is made aware that a body of a deceased is within the coroner's area, um, he has the duty then to conduct an investigation into that person's death where it's suspected that that person has died a violent or unnatural death or where the cause, cause of death is unknown or where the deceased died while in custody or otherwise in state detention. It's really important really to point out that an inquest in itself whilst takes place in a court of law and it is a a coroner's court um, where an inquest takes place, it is a fact-finding exercise and not a method of apportioning guilt or blame. It should never be forgotten that there are no parties. So with an inquest, there's no um, claimant and defendant like you see in the civil courts or a defendant in, in the criminal court. It's non-adversarial and there's no indictment. There is no prosecution um, and there's no defence. It's, it's like I say, it's merely a fact-finding exercise. Yeah, but you say that. But I know people go to inquests to listen to them and they use the information at the inquest in a subsequent case. So shouldn't you be a bit careful about what you say there? From from a clinical perspective, if I have um, clinical witnesses and I'm advising them um, in advance of an inquest, I always say um, the best policy is to be as open and honest as you possibly can with your evidence. If there's any questions that you can't answer, it's a case of simply saying you can't answer those or uh, maybe deferring to um, another clinician who they feel is, is best placed to answer those questions. And similarly, if any questions are asked that the clinician isn't quite sure of what is being asked of them um, at inquest we'd always say to ask for um, a question to be repeated Um, I'd never advise um, a a witness to watch what they say I I feel like some witnesses that I have had the benefit of speaking to sometimes can feel a little anxious around the inquest process feel a little bit unsure especially if say for instance they're worried about something that they might say that may, you know, for want of a better phrase, drop their colleague in it. But what I was always, always say is 
be as honest as, as possible in terms of your opinion and your practice. And that's following out your duty uh, as a clinician at, at Coroner's Court. Yes, depending on the outcome of the inquest, you know, the evidence may be used um, in support of, say, for instance, a clinical negligence claim. But what we have to remember is a clinical negligence claim is something that is brought in a separate um, arena altogether. That's the civil courts and quite separate from the inquest process itself. But in terms of providing evidence at inquest, you know, the best policy is, yes, to be as honest and open as you possibly can on, on, on the information that you have in front of you and, and, you know, within your clinical expertise. Yeah, so it seems to me, though, that um, what is said in the coroner's court can then be used in a subsequent negligence case. I mean, it can be cited, can't it, that information? It can be cited. Um, I mean, what we have to remember is that the coroner records within his, his narrative conclusion that he keeps to factual language and doesn't stray outside of that. Um, and, and that's why representation is important, because it's for the advocates then to remind the coroner of the type of language that can and cannot be used at inquest during that narrative conclusion. So, yeah, it's absolutely important that, you know, the coroner sticks to the factual language as opposed to, you know, straying into the realms of opinion, ambiguous wording, if you like. Yeah, and uh, maybe opinions, I don't know. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So the other thing is that um, you say stick to the evidence. Sometimes the notes are pretty bad. Um, and it might have been a locum or somebody who is not often at the surgery or even somebody you can't track down now. And, um, you know, the notes they're given as rubbish. So what happens then? So in, in those circumstances, and it's quite often the case that um, a GP may be asked to provide a witness statement on a period of care of the deceased, but it might be that particular GP isn't the one that completed the attendance with the deceased. And quite often we do have clinicians covering periods of care that weren't their period of care. Um, and it's always difficult because, of course, um, you've only got what's in front of you in terms of the clinical notes. Uh, what we would always advise in those circumstances is just give as much as you can from the clinical notes. Don't try to stray into opinions of what you think might have been the thought process of someone else, because I guess you possibly can't say, unless you can 100% say that was the case, then of course, you know, provide your evidence. But I guess with where we've, we have a, a locum that has seen a patient and, and you're providing an account of what's within the medical notes, make it clear in your witness statement that that is um, based solely on the medical notes and that you haven't had the benefit of assessing the patient or, or seeing the patient yourself and, and that the witness evidence that you're providing is an account of what you can see in the medical notes. Um, that's when we would usually see um, a witness statement that is is quite brief in the sense that it's a rehearsal, if you like, of what's in the medical notes and the the observations taken and the and the, and the conversations which took place. Right, thank you. Um, if a um, patient dies in hospital who's been referred by um, the GP practice, there is it likely that the GP would be required to go to the coroner's court or will it focus on the consultants and people at the hospital? It 
really depends on the circumstances. Um, more often than not, GPs will always be asked to provide a report for the benefit of an inquest. I guess whether they would be called to provide evidence orally. So there's two just two ways a coroner can deal with evidence from a GP or, or any other um, party to a witness to an inquest. They can either um, admit the witness evidence under Rule 23 of the coroner's rules, which means um, that their evidence will be read out into court and there would be no need for them to attend. Or alternatively, they can ask um, the witness to attend to provide evidence orally. Generally um, speaking, if the coroner makes a decision to admit evidence onto the court record as opposed to having someone attend to provide the evidence orally, it's because whatever is in that witness statement is enough and the coroner doesn't need to hear or ask any further questions of that witness. We'll usually see that where, for instance, um, like you say, if someone has, has died in hospital, but as, as part of their condition, it might be that on the cause of death, there's um, COPD, say, for instance, um, just as an example. Whilst there may not be any particular concerns in terms of the GP's practice and care, it might be that the coroner needs a witness statement from the GP just evidencing what the issues were um, throughout the deceased's life and for how long or up to a certain period um, with, with COPD itself just to um, have a broad overview of what the comorbidities were of that particular patient. And in those circumstances, it might be that the GP provides a witness statement just um, advising on the number of different attendances, say, over a period of 12 months or even two years, depending on what the coroner is, is asking for. And the coroner may be satisfied with that and doesn't really have any further questions over and above what he's got in front of him within that witness statement. And in those instances, um, the witness evidence may be admitted into court and, and read out by the coroner as opposed to have the GP attend. However, in in other circumstances, it might be that the GP is called to provide evidence orally. Um, and those circumstances might be, um, say, for instance, whereby the patient um, visited his GP two days before, three, a week, a week or so um, before the death and then went to hospital three days before, so two days after the GP attendance. And it, it turns out that actually there's some real issue around um, the patient's condition, something that the GP um, didn't pick up that potentially should have picked up. And the coroner may want to ask further questions around that assessment and period of care. So like I say, it completely depends on, on the circumstances as to whether a witness will be called to provide oral evidence or not, but quite usual for GPs to be involved in the inquest process from one perspective or, an, or another. Right, good. And so um, who can support me? I mean, if, I, if I'm summoned to come to a coroner's court to give evidence, um, is there anybody who can support me during that process? And who pays for the support? We would expect GP practices 
um, and GPs themselves to be um, signatory to maybe a medical defence union that might be able to provide advice and support um, around the inquest process. It's a case of probably checking the, the terms and conditions of the policy that they have as to whether representation at inquest itself would be something that could be offered if, if it's felt that that is needed. There's also the CNSGP provided by the NHSR, um, although as I understand it, the CNSGP um, scheme is limited um, to claims and doesn't provide any cover, if you like, financial cover for, for towards representation at inquest. The practice may also want to check any of the overarching insurance policies um, that they may have to see what type of um, you know, assistance can be gleaned from those policies as well. Yeah, so that's a good point because you always just think about your MDU, MPS type policy, but there are other policies which cover legal costs, um, which may help. Um, I suspect you can also extend them to cover it if you want. Good. So that's really been helpful, Samantha, and um, it shows that one ought not to be too um, fearful if you receive the letter um, to go to an inquest, but um, it's important to be well prepared and also to have support if you have to attend in person. Uh, but often it seems that you might just be able to send in a report and um, that's all that the coroner requires from you, so that wouldn't be too onerous. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, more often than not, that is the case. And a witness statement may be all that's required and no attendance necessary. I guess one thing to um, highlight really is that there are adverse outcomes that can come out of um, a potential inquest, something that um, I do feel that, you know, the primary care sector need to have an awareness of um, just just so they know that, you know, an inquest um, can have potential adverse outcomes in certain situations. Now, when we talk about those adverse outcomes, we're talking about things like the coroner having the um, duty to issue prevention of future deaths reports, otherwise known as PFDs or Regulation 28 orders. Um, they also have it within their gift to um, issue uh, neglect riders against healthcare professionals where they feel that there has been a failure to provide basic medical treatment. In certain circumstances, there'll be referrals to the CQC if the coroner feels it, it warranted and necessary. And of course, we already know that, you know, clinical negligence claims may arise out of circumstances surrounding um, the inquest investigation. Um, and in the more serious situations, there can also be referral to the police for investigation. Now, these adverse outcomes are, are the most serious of inquests and inquest conclusions, but now, nonetheless, being aware that they are um, you know, potential issues that can arise out of inquest is always um, good knowledge to have. Now, what we offer at Hempson, certainly within, in our team, is um, the Hempson's Inquest Management Service. And what we tend to do um, with a lot of our NHS trusts is offer this. It's a free service whereby if 
any of our healthcare professionals have any concerns about potentially being involved in the inquest process itself or have any anxieties in relation to it or just want to sound off um, you know the situation that they're in we're quite happy to take any queries um, by email or by phone uh, just just to give uh, one-off advice in terms of where the risk might lay if if there is potential risk because like we said there's not always risk but there are some potential adverse outcomes that can arise out of inquest that it's always good to have um, a little bit of extra knowledge around that and, and to, just to see where where you stand really. Yeah, that's a very important point. Good. Thank you, Samantha. I think that, uh, it's very interesting and um, helpful for those people who um, might be uh, called to attend a, an inquest. And if you would like to know more about it or if you would like support, I'm sure Samantha will be very happy to help you. So do contact her or any of the people at Hempson's on our health advisory team for a bit of support in, in those circumstances. There's also a wealth of other information on our website and other podcasts, so please do browse through them and contact us if there's anything there that's important to you, which we can help you with. Thank you very much for listening and I hope it's been helpful.